Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined by uh, Director of Fun and Games, John Brazier. And John, I still can't believe that we haven't had this guest on. How, how long have we been doing this podcast? We've been doing this podcast for three and a half years. Three and, and a half years. We, we were, you know, just every week we finish our podcast after a great guest, and we say, you know, who haven't we got yet? <laughs> and then I think it was TJ Farrell in our office said, hey, you never got Dickie Knowles. And I'm like, well, yeah, we did. We probably got him way long time ago. I thought Dickie he was one of our, our first guests. He works in our office. He's good buddies of ours. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I, I look back through, this, th- through the guests and – no looked, Dickie Knowles. And I didn't believe you, John. So I looked, too. I went through the whole thing. I'm like, no, Dickie was definitely like the first month we were uh, we went on and started this podcast. But sure enough. Well, better late than never, right? Better, better late than never. He's with us today, Dickie Knowles. I was with him all day yesterday. And I'm totally honored to be on your podcast. And I never even I, I remember Johnny telling me, I don't know, you told me uh, one time before you'd like to be on the podcast, and I told you Probably no. three and a half years. <laughs> but yeah, right. But Maybe I always what it was. Him. Three and a half years <laughs> yeah. ago. No, no, it wasn't three and a half years ago. It was like two weeks ago. <laughs> okay. But you guys were just together golfing yesterday? Is that uh, right? I actually uh, – Dickie's on the circuit uh, with Tommy Green. Oh, that's Mickey a good Moore, circuit. Mickey Morandini. Whoa, 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 whoa. Myself. Whoa. Time, time out. Circuit? You know how many times I've played golf this year? Well, I'm not saying this year because okay. I've only All golfed right. twice. Well, how many, but this but in like, the past, we've golfed together. you got to yeah. be careful. Our bosses may be listening to this. That's true. Well, but, that's part of your job. <laughs> Dickie, you're supposed to, you know, go out there, golf. The first time I golfed with Dickie, and I'm, I'm a hack golfer. I'm basically a hockey player playing golf. And one time, Dickie, remember this? We were playing in a tournament, and I hit this. It was like a part of three. I hit a shot right after I hit the shot. I think I was uh, spewing expletives. You and wow. it went. It went. Dickie, remember, it went to the top of the hill. You, you describe it. It was almost a hole in one. I mean, it was a great shot on a part three. We were huh. struggling. And Johnny comes up. He hits a ball, and I thought it was going to land on the road out there. It went way out left, and it was a windy day too. So the wind kind of pulled it a little bit. But he hit a he had a cut shot. We're gonna, we ain't going to call it a slice. We'll call it a cut shot. <laughs> You're and very that thing, generous. That thing started coming back, and it landed about three feet from the I top. mean, it rolled about 50 feet, literally. I, I hit the wrong side of the place, and somehow it just it came down it perfectly. Come and, and, back. It didn't and hit I, a tree and No, and I think I won close to the pin for that. You did? So, yes. Yeah. Huh. yeah, sometimes luck pays to be better than skill, right? <laughs> he can hit some bombs. Yeah. He don't hit them straight. He hits them to the right, and then he hits them to the left. Yeah. No, nah, he, he can hit some straight. Yeah, so yesterday you were not was, good? I, I actually putted well. And actually, Dickie, no, this is, has no reflection on you, but uh, we did birdie the, the last three holes because uh, you left a little early. Did, did Tommy take but all of my we had, shots? We had Tommy <laughs> took his both shots. Yeah. So we had, you know, when you have Tommy, yes, having a practice shot, basically, uh, you do pretty well. Tommy, if, if you remember the Bugs Bunny uh, episode when, you know, he hits the ball, Three, and screamer. it's screaming line yeah. drive and the yeah. ball screaming. <laughs> that's great Tommy's, analogy. That's Tommy's, Tommy's golf ball. Golf ball. <laughs> Tommy's the best golfer I've ever seen outside of Michael Jack. Yeah. I mean, Tommy's whole game is amazing. He hits the ball. I mean, if I, I don't know how the golf ball survives because it's got to become – it's got to be getting compressed more than anybody else's golf ball. And then it, and he hits it straight. And when he's hot, am I lying? He hits a three iron closer than I hit a pitching wedge. 
And he's a technician, right? And he's like, yeah. no, you do he's this, a, you he's do slow. that. He, he's he's slow just, when he plays golf. Yeah. Not slow, methodical. Methodical, yes. But Good work. When he lines that golf ball up and he gets himself ready, he don't miss. No. Now, when you're playing with Tommy, Dickie, do you have a specialty you bring? I mean, Tommy off the tee, it's hard to outdrive Tommy. Well, but he can, uh, he can bomb the ball. You're, you're out there with oh, yeah. Tommy or what? Dickie can totally bomb the ball. Nobody's out when he's hitting it well. When right. he's not hitting it well – like we were down to shore playing golf and uh, at a two-day event down there, and I outdrove him, so I couldn't wait for him to drive down there. I was like, man, I I, I don't know how my ball got farther than his ball. So he drives down, he gets down there, and he looks at his ball, and I've outdrove him once or twice before. And uh, I I say twice in my lifetime. He says more than that, but it, it, I'm right. He's wrong. Um, it, I've 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 hit some drives before. I've hit them good, and I look up, and he's 75 yards ahead of me. Yeah. Isn't that right? I mean, yep. he could uh, – so this particular drive, I knew I hit it over 300 yards, and I'm 65 years old. So it's downwind, and it was only a 35-mile-an-hour wind, so I'm taking it, you know, anyway. I mean, the wind's behind us, and, and I, I said – I looked over, and I, I told the guy that was riding with me, I said, John, I, I outdrove him. So I'm going to wait on him. So he comes down, and he looks at it. Because the last time I outdrove him, he drove out there and outdrove him. He goes, you know, I, I, I didn't hit mine good. I towed it. <laughs> Right. I was going, well, can you keep that to yourself? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So this time he didn't say anything. He it. And I was, I was looking, and I was going, he didn't say anything. I said, did you hit that one good? He goes, yeah. I, I, I didn't even want to play golf no more. I, I was already done for the day. I was going, I outdrove Tommy Green. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, hey, question for you, because a lot of these guys, uh, when they go on road trips, especially our announcers, right. they golf in Oakmont, and they'll golf at all the great golf courses. Um, is it different from, like, back in the 80s, when you, when you were playing with the Phillies and the Cubs and all the different teams, did you guys golf as much as the current ball players golf? I, I don't think so. I, don't, I never golfed when I was a Philly. When I went to Chicago, Ferguson Jenkins, who's one of my dear friends in life, and Fergie walked up to me one day in spring training and said, the Wilson guy just offered you clubs, or I think it was like $250. And I said, yeah, I took the money. He goes, no, no, call him back. So he uh, I called the Wilson guy back, and he said he wants clubs. Nice. And the Wilson guy said, okay. And he says, the clubs are a lot worth a lot more than $250, and you're going to play golf. I said, well, I go to a driving range. Let's go. So the first time I went out to play golf, <laughs> it was with Larry Boa and Ferguson Jenkins and Keith Moreland, and I forget who else was with us, but we played a match, and, and – uh, we're competitive. Everybody's competitive. So I got a little too. Wait, Larry Boa's not competitive. <laughs> well, I, I got a little too competitive with Larry Boa. Right. And uh, with a foot wedge, he beat me by about 15 strokes. So I was determined to get him back. So I practiced, and I fell in love with the game right away. There it was. That's when you started playing. Yep. And, you just, and you mentioned all of Phillies. That was basically the Cubs back then were Phillies West. Yes, we were. And we paid yeah. a dear price for it. When we got traded over there, they hated us. They hated all of us until we started winning. Right. Um, but I'll never forget the, uh, uh, the, the night I was traded, and uh, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. It was a different era in my life. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, and Tommy Helms pulls up beside me, and he, and he looks at me, and he goes, hey, you're a Cub now. And I go, first of all, this is kind of weird. You know, I've been out on the town. He's been out on the town. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's pulled up beside me, and I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm dreaming or is this real. I looked at him. I said, Tommy, what are you doing? He goes, I don't know. I seen you. I knew that was your car. I said, we're on the other side of town. You pull up beside me and you roll your window down and say, hey, you've been traded. I said, are you messing with me? He goes, no, you've been traded. I've seen it on a television night. I want to congratulate you. are going to Chicago. Or to keep the ball down there, kid. Mm. Uh, I mean, I know we were going to talk about your career, Dickie, but that was such a fascinating time when Dallas went over there and Vuk, and then all of a sudden all these trades started happening. Uh, I guess you got traded with uh, Keith Moreland, right? Right, And uh, we got Kruko in the deal. I think we needed starting pitching back winner. then. Yeah, yeah, we needed that. Even but, Lee uh, Ilya came over there. Lee Ilya. But how did it – you say people didn't like it. Like, how, how did that manifest itself? Was it the, the fans? Are you talking about, like, the front office people or, like – like, I think it was the fans and the media. I think, yeah. you know, you got a brash general manager coming over there saying, we're going to win here. You ain't never won before, but we're going to win. And right. you need lights. You right. need those things oh, up there called lights. That really must have ruffled well, some feathers. That's why they got lights, because of Dallas Green. Dallas, and, and, yeah. and Dallas talked about lights all the time. The thing I remember the most was when we got traded over there, you know, my heart was heartbroken to leave Philadelphia. And it, it really bothered me leaving Philadelphia. I said, man, alive. I must have really messed up to leave Philly. I mean, because, you know, I, I didn't have a great year, and, and uh, Pope was a little upset with me, and so I, I thought about it, and I said, I need to get my act in order. 
And so that year I went home and uh, I, I wanted to get ready. We didn't work out the way guys do here, but I started working out and I wanted to get ready. And I came into spring training and I looked at the club and I thought, okay, Moreland's here. Dan Larson went with us. And Boa hadn't come yet, quite yet, but okay. then Boa came later. Bobby Thurnier? Yeah, but that was much later. Boa, later. Boa okay. and Sandberg came next. So I'm okay. looking at the club now, and I'm thinking, well, you know what? Because I knew the Cubs. I, I love pitching against the Cubs at that time. They were not very good. And <clears throat> so I seen that, and I looked at the paper of, you know, what we got now, and then I thought, man, still it's okay, but it's a good start. I'm going to get to start over there. And, and for me, I got 30, 30-something starts. I went 10 and 10 and. 14 or 10 I don't can't remember 10 and 14 I think 10 and yeah, 13 and they brought like you that. over as a starter because that's what I was going to say with yeah. your career Dickie you know you bounce back and forth a little bit out of the bullpen and then you start but you started uh, mostly for the Cubs huh yeah and until I, I had a knee injury but that that first year you know we got Sandberg playing third mm. you got bump wheels at second because he had a two-year contract and you got Bow at short and you got Durham at first and Starting to look like a pretty good little ball club because I could see that you know that, that it was going to be a good ball club. You had young kid Mel Hall coming up in the outfield. Jody Davis, fantastic catcher, and you had Ferguson Jenkins who, who mm. was still pitching very well at the time. And I looked at the pitching staff and went, "If I can't pitch in this rotation, I'm in trouble." Mm. But it was uh, it was it was a club that probably wasn't going to win, but they knew that we were going to get rid of bump. Sandberg's going to go to second. And they were going to go out and sign some guys. And then they got Sarge, Bobby D, Dick Ruthven, I believe, came before that. They got Dick Ruthven. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you got Dennis Eckersley. And we're looking at the club now like, yeah. wow. Yeah. So we went from a club that nobody came to see. We had no fans. And that's why you remember the uh, the Lee Ilya rant? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, everybody yeah. knows that one. But they, they booed us all the time because they didn't like the Phillies. They thought that we had, you know. Very popular guy, Mike Kruko, won 20 games, got traded. So anyway. But, but you 19- guys also won the World Series in 1980, so they're probably looking and saying, at least you have some winners and kind of bringing that culture into the clubhouse, right? I, I think they were too blind to see that Dallas was going to do that. They looked at the players he brought in at first. You know, Porfilio Altamirano and Dickie Knowles and, and Keith Moreland did not ring a bell to the Chicago fans, and Keith later became a very good hitter and a good, good, good ball player, an all-star player. And then until they started bringing guys over, and Larry Bowles at the end of his career, no offense to that, but that didn't charge them up either. And what happened when they got uh, Dick Ruthven, you got a, you know, a, a proven winner. Then you got Gary Matthews, proven winner. We were proven winners, but these guys I'm talking about had played all-star teams and things like that. And then you got Bobby Denier. Now you looked at the club and went, whoa, this is a pretty good ball club. And then you put Dennis Eckersley on that ball club, and then later uh, Sutcliffe came on that and became, got traded over there. And to see that, I was there half of 84, I got traded. But to see the first half of 84 unfold and see all the fans, all the sellout, and, and, and yeah. Rhino having the great year he had. And, and the Cub fans, have, it seems to me, since 1984, they, they've – been selling out ever since. Yeah, even with the lights. They came in 88. I remember that, John. I went to uh, the game before because, remember, it was a Monday night baseball game That's that right. first night with uh, that first game. And remember, it got rained out. Gary Reedus, yep. I think, started the, the game with a home run, but it got wiped off the books because the rain came mm. like in the second inning and, and they had to start the next night. But uh, I was at the game the night before and people were – there was a, a petition like, get rid of the lights. It's like, yeah. I think it's too late, buddy. They're going on tomorrow night. <laughs> it's a beautiful ballpark. I it went is. back there yeah. for Lee Smith's induction, or, or not his induction, after he was inducted in the Hall of Fame for his uh, the, the, the retirement of his number. And walking back in there and just seeing that ballpark, what they've done with it, it's pretty spectacular. It's hard to believe that they could do the things they did to the ballpark. Oh, yeah. Especially with the locker room and now, stuff. Now, Dickie, you also you threw a, a one-hitter, right, against, against the, the Reds? Cincinnati Reds. In 1982. Talk about that game. When, when was the one hit? It was a single by Ed Milner in the fourth inning, and it could have been caught. But it was so early. I mean, our left fielder's good friend of mine, Steve Henderson, said, I could have called it easy, but it, if it was spinning and bounce, if it bounces, it's going to bounce mm. away from me and be a double. And and it was a I – th- I was pitching against Tom Seaver. What I remember about that game is I got a knock off Tom Seaver. <laughs> but I, is that right? It could have been a no-hitter, but it was a one-hitter. It was uh, probably the best game I've ever thrown in my career. Awesome. All right, well, speaking of your career, let's talk about an incident that took place that actually uh, turned your life around. Right and in 1983, uh, now you, you'll be the first one to admit you were kind of a wild player, right? You stayed out late and you and you, uh, you were drinking this and that. But uh, I guess in 1983, you were brief, briefly jailed for assaulting a Cincinnati police officer. And then talk about that, and then talk about how that 
that incident then really changed your life around for the positive. Well, you know, it's inter- it's interesting. Any incident that happens like that, you wonder how you got that far. Uh, I'd been in trouble many times in my career. There's there's there are a lot of rumors that go around about my life. They're they're starting to die out now. I'm getting old enough to get rid of them. But it was that I got arrested in every minor league city, and I used to kind of think about that and say, no, I didn't. And yet I thought about it and I said, yeah, I did. I got arrested in Spartanburg. I got arrested in Peninsula. I got arrested in uh, uh, Reading. But the, you know, I never went to jail in Reading. Uh, they let me go when I went to the police station. I got arrested in Oklahoma City. I go, man, that, that's not a good resume. And then uh, uh, I got called up to the Phillies in 1979, went to Venezuela, got kicked out of the country there. I, I've always thought back to that. Did I really get kicked out of the country? And then I talked to Tony Taylor and Ruben. They go, yeah, you got kicked out of the country. Can't go back. And uh, so after 1979, we won the World Series in 1980. And I do not b- recall that I got arrested in 1980. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think so. And then in 1981, I'm, I'm arrested again for a fight and uh, sent to the minor leagues and had another one there. And you look at that and you think, uh, wow, what kind of guy is this? And I never really took a look at myself until April 9th of 1983. And the interesting thing about that April 9th uh, uh, date was I had stopped drinking in spring training. Dallas brought me in. It's a kind of a funny story. At uh, uh, I'm trying to think of his name now, but he was. Uh, Hold on, Dick. You know what? Before you before you get into that story, because we want to get into that, let's let's take a break right now, Tom. Uh, right? Good idea. Let's take. We'll be right back. At, right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, and we're back. And Dickie, uh, yeah, talking about, uh, I know, a crazy uh, time back in 1983, huh? Yeah, and and uh, I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name, and I, I can't I can't think of his name. But he worked in baseball. He was an alcoholic, and uh, Ryan Durham, a hard throwing right hander for the New York Yankees. Dallas Green had called him and told him to, he wanted him to come to talk to me in spring training, and he came up to me and had a little beer belly on him, and he walked over to me and he says, uh, "Hey, I'm Ryan Durham. Well, you you're going to be respectful to someone that's played the game." So I was very respectful until he got to talking to me about my drinking, and he says, "Let me ask you a question." And I said, all right, go ahead. And he said, uh, you ever been in a fight sober? I go, yeah. And he goes, as an adult? And I go, yeah. And he goes, how many times? And I had to think about it. And he goes, do you like fighting? And I go, no, not at all. Do you, do you consider yourself? I'm, I'm sober now. He said, do you consider yourself a fighter? I said, absolutely not. And he goes, well, let me read your resume off, you know. And he says, this is pretty, this is, this is before I got arrested. And for uh, assault and police officers. So he tells me that, and I'm, as all alcoholics do, you don't think you're an alcoholic. I didn't need to drink every day. I never had the shakes. When I quit, I didn't, it was no big deal. You know, I, I mean, as far as having withdrawal or anything like that. So he, he, he tells me, he says, uh, you know, he says, can you quit drinking for two weeks? So I looked at him and said, yeah, easy. I said, that's all you want from me? Yeah. And he goes, yeah, if you can quit drinking for two weeks, I'll see you in two weeks. So he left town. We had another pitcher on the club, God rest his soul. He's uh, passed away, and, and me and him went to play horseshoes. And you can't play horseshoes without beer. Just can't. Not in Arizona. So we're playing horseshoes, and some guy, he met some uh, some some fans. And so we're sitting there when they're in their backyard. It's a good horseshoe pit. We're playing horseshoes. And he goes, you want a beer? I go, yeah. Didn't even think about it. So after about six, eight, nine beers, you know, we're playing horseshoes. And, and I said, oh, man, I was supposed to stay. I'll start tomorrow. Then the next day. Uh, Fergie and some guys were having some shrimp and a few beers and, and they're cooking the shrimp and beer. So I said, uh, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm going to drink. I got to do this Ryan Duran thing. And I said, I start tomorrow. So by the time Ryan Duran came back and he said, Dickie, did you have anything to drink? Now there was two of us and that's why I'm not going to mention this other guy's name. So he looked at me and he looked at the other guy and he says, uh, did you guys have anything to drink? And I said, no. And he said, yeah. And I said, what? he goes, yeah, we did. I said, we what do you mean we? I said, speak for yourself. I was a little mad at him. And Ryan looked at me and he said, you lie to protect your drinking. Probably is a pretty good sign you got a drinking problem. And I go, okay, I'm not going to lie. I had a few drinks. And uh, 
he said, uh, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. He said, I tell you what, tomorrow I'm leaving town. I'm going to call you, and I'm going to call you in one week, and you be honest with me and tell me how much you've had to drink. Well, I knew he was a direct pipeline to Dallas, so I went one week without drinking. But the funny thing about that week, I, 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 I was pitching better. So we're, we're creatures of habit, both good and bad, athletes, you know. And so I said, I'm not going to drink. I'm pitching good. So the next week I didn't drink, and I was pitching really good. By the end of spring training, I was almost unhittable. I remember I, mean, I never struck out 10 in a major league game, but I struck out 10 in a minor league game. And at my last game I pitched, I struck out 12, I think. And back-to-back games, one game was a seven-inning game, the other game was an eight-inning. We pitched a little longer in spring training then. I think the other game, I went into the eighth inning. And all the Milwaukee Brewers, who I was facing a pretty good club with the Brewers. I mean, they had some studs on that team that could hit. You had Molitor, you had Yalt, you had uh, Cecil Cooper, and Gorman. you had Ogilvy, Storm and Gorman. I was yeah. getting ready. And uh, they they all were telling me after the game, and, and Paul Molitor in particular said, Dickie, man, you're throwing the ball better than ever. I, I cannot believe you're, you're pitching now. You got a purpose out there. So that hit me. I said, you know what? You know, this drinking thing may have been taking me a little bit uh, down the, uh, you know, maybe it hurt me on the field too. So I quit drinking, and I felt great. And then we went to Cincinnati. I pitched the first game of the season, I believe, against Montreal, against Bill Gullicks, and got beat one to nothing. But after the game, I've, so many people were telling me how well I was commanding the ball, and I'd never heard that before. And and not only that, how well I was commanding, you know, the, the fastball, but how – how I was keeping my motions in control on the mound. And so that, that stuff was kind of boring to a lot of people, but I was really listening to it going, you know what, I am a different person when I drink. So we went to Cincinnati. We had an off day there, and, and uh, it's, since it's been printed, I can mention Scotty's name. Scotty Moneyhoff, great friend of mine, uh, number one draft pick from the Phillies, wonderful, wonderful uh, human being, and, and his wife. They're wonderful people. I, I'd love to see them again. So we went into a – they came up to my room and they wanted to go out drinking and 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 the only the only thing is I, I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Scotty said, "When you drink with me, you never get in fights and you're okay." Come on, one one last time for good friends. Come on. And Scotty was trying to get into baseball, so I said, "You know what? It ain't going to hurt to go out one last time." And that one last time for so many alcoholics is mm-hmm. it's a tragedy for me. I was very lucky, so we went out and I and once I got to drinking. Uh, we went to one bar. We left that bar, and we went into a place, and a big fight erupted. And if you ask me about the fight, I, I probably couldn't tell you anything about what happened at the fight. I have no idea. The interesting thing was, you know Murph uh, from Fantasy Camp, Dennis Murphy? Yep. His son was in a league, and the and, and the uh, bouncer son was playing in the league. And he said, I can tell Dickie everything that happened that night. And I, and I asked Murph for his phone number, and then I said, I don't want to go back and call what, what I want to look at is everything that happened that night was it, with the history of what I did was all my fault. I mean, it's pretty obvious that I, that I got out of control. Uh, I don't remember seeing a police officer. Uh, officer Kim Cohen was his name. I tried to locate him uh, a couple times. Uh, our, our, you know, the, the AA uh, part of life is, you know, you, fo- you follow the 12 steps, but in the 12 steps it's uh, – there's a, there's a step in there that you make amends to others. And I said, I, I need to make amends to this gentleman. And so I reached out one time. He, I read in the newspaper where his son had tragically died in a fire on the front page of USA Today, uh, a fire that was in uh, uh, at his college. I can't remember the name of the college right now. But So I reached out for the second time. And uh, it depends on who answers the phone on the other end. I didn't get very lucky, but... I, I do I do remember talking to someone about him in Cincinnati, and I don't recall the conversation or how it happened, but I was trying to locate him, of somebody talking about what a great guy he was, uh, you know, a sports guy, a, a, a community-type guy, and then it made me feel even worse. So I didn't, want to, I didn't want to go back and say, well, who who did I beat up if I beat up somebody? But the bottom line was I struck a police officer somehow during the fight, so they sentenced me to 180 days in a jail. And I went to jail that night. Uh, there's a story that floats around. It's a pretty funny story. Vukovic came to the jailhouse and Lee Ilian, Dallas Green, and Billy Connors, all the old Phillies. And they said it had to be strapped in a chair. And they asked the police, they said, why do you have him strapped in a chair? Can you undo him? And they went, no. <laughs> Vuk said, I, 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 they didn't want to let you go. And I said, uh, that may sound funny to a lot of people. It may sound macho to a lot of people, like they were afraid to let me go because you know, this guy's going to go off again. But it sounds pretty embarrassing when you're the guy that wakes up the next day sober and you go, they chained me to a chair? 
because mm. they were afraid. Uh, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I used to hear it from Vuk and him all the time. And, it, and you know, I laugh at some of the stuff about my life, but I, I don't really laugh on the inside. It was pretty, you know, because I deal with people like that. So, But that changed your life, right? That, I mean, changed, that, that, that saved my life in many ways. And uh, Dallas was there, and I'll never forget it because Dallas turned around and said, uh, you're going to a rehab. I, I've had it with this. And I said, no, I'm not. He goes, oh, yeah, you are. So the next day um, – you know, when I got out of jail, I had to, they put me in jail, so I got out on a pill. They hired me a lawyer. So I, I got on because I tore my knee up. I really, I, I tore my ACL, my MCL, my knee. So I was going to be out a while. And uh, so anyway, I, I know how that damage happened, but I'll keep that private. But uh, I deserved it. So anyway, on my uh, way back to Chicago, I went in to see, uh, uh, we had this doctor who was an EAP, Dr. Sidney Scholl. And he had a big beard, you know. He's a psychiatrist. And I walked into his office, and he, I'm walking up the step with my soon-to-be wife, and and she was my girlfriend at the time. She goes, you need to go in here. I go, really? So you're turning on me now, you know, because you get that denial and stuff. And so I went in, and I sat down. He's going to interview me. He says, tell me about your mother. And I was still pretty hungover. I said, because my mother was my hero in life. I said, if you say anything about my mother, I'm going to break your freaking jaw. And I couldn't believe that came out. Mm. And I knew I was still a little bit under the weather. And so he says, well, tell me about your dad. <laughs> so I said, you know what? Say a word about my dad. He goes, okay, we're done with the interview. And he says, look, uh, you're going in rehab. Yeah. And I go, really? I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, Dallas said if you walk out that door. I said, I'm walking out that door. He said, Dallas said if you walk out that door, you're not going to play for the Cubs or anyone. And I went, whoa, because at that time, baseball was probably my God. I went, whoa, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll go. And I made up my mind that I'm going to go in there and put my dip in and ice my knee and sit in the back of the room and uh, basically watch people tell their stories and say, I'd never do that. And um, so I went into the rehab, and about the third or fourth day, another life-changing event happened in my life. There was a counselor there. And they were doing some psychodrama stuff. So we're, I had to stand up, bad knee and all. We're on a bus. And I, I, I should have been smart enough to figure this out because we're going on a bus by Wrigley Field. And, uh, and he, he says, Dickie, you're on a bus and it's crowded. Somebody steps on your toe. I said, I wouldn't be on a bus going by Wrigley Field on a crowded bus, you know, trying to be. He said, what would you be doing, driving your Mercedes? I said, I don't own a Mercedes. And he said, okay, well, you're, you're on a bus, and that's where you're going to be at the rate you're going in your life. And you're going by Wrigley Field, and somebody steps on your toe. And he had cowboy boots, and he, I don't think he meant to do it. Later on, I found out he didn't. But he nailed my toe with those cowboy boots, and I drew back to hit him. And I don't, I don't think he was smart enough or brave enough or stupid enough to do that on purpose, but it sure did work because I did draw back to hit him. And he looked at me, and he says, hit me. And I said, I can't hit you. He goes, why not? I said, because, you know, I'm in here because I'm in trouble. I can't hit you. He goes, no, you're not hitting me because you're sober. And for some reason, that hit me right between the eyes yeah. and in the heart. And so I, 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 I kind of liked the guy, and, and I listened to him more and more. And then someone got up and shared their story the next day, and it made a difference to me. And uh, the next person shared their story. And all these people had had so many traumatic things going on in their life, uh, a wife who, who's, who's, whose husband just kicked her out because she couldn't control her drinking and lost her kids. I'm going, how, how did you let that happen? You know, it didn't, it didn't, I couldn't believe it. And I'm looking, then I started, I, you know, I started hearing other stories. And then uh, the counselor got me one-on-one and said, let me tell you about your story since you don't want to tell nobody. And he laid it out. And when he laid it out and he said, I'm going to be you, I'm going to lay it out for you. And he said, I'm Dickie Knowles. This is what I've done in my life. And I listened to him, and he says, what would you say to someone that, that if, I, if I was not you and I had done those things? I'd say, you're probably uh, pretty stupid or you need tr- treatment. And he says, exactly. And that day, was, that was the April 9th of 1983 date that I use. Um, and that day I said, I'm not drinking no more. Mm-hmm. Now the counselor and everybody else, and I know uh, people in AA get offended sometimes when I say I knew I wasn't going to drink no more. Um, I, did, I was determined on that date to try to follow the program and not drink one day at a time. That's what I was trying to say. And I said, if I can go sober one day, that's what they're saying is at work. I, I think I want to do this. And I also was at a disadvantage if I wanted to drink because every, all eyes were on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, had, I had been sentenced to 180 days in a jail. 
uh, Major League Baseball came down on me. I'd lost lots of money. Uh, I was going to have to play, really play for another year and a half to uh, cover those debts. So I was playing for nothing. But the most important thing was my mother. My mother, 60 Minutes aired it and put it on uh, television. So I had to, I had to watch myself go into jail. And 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 the thing that hit me the most was my mother and grandmother had to watch mm. me walk into jail and say, "How did he end up like that?" And uh, a lot of people don't understand addictions, and I'm sure they didn't. And they, so that was a thing that that really bothered me the most. of so the whole thing was not only what I'd done to my life, what I'd done to my family. Yeah. So yeah. far, so good. Well. Next year, it'll be 40 years, if you think of that, Dickie, and that's uh, quite an accomplishment. Um, I, You guys talked about it. Change your life. I, let's take a little break, and then when we come back, we really like to talk to you how now, you know, you get to tell your story and, and help, uh, you know, some of our minor leaguers and other uh, people in the organization. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dickie Knowles. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back, and uh, Dickie, as John mentioned, and you mentioned it changed your life, and uh, you've—I guess it was 1996—you became part of the uh, with the uh, employee assistance program here yep. at the Phillies, right? Yeah, uh, I got a job with the Phillies uh, April 1st of 1992. Though I was doing some mm-hmm. stuff uh, with a program I called Save Students Attitudes, Values, Education, Substance Abuse. It was a prevention program, and I loved doing that. Um, at that point in my career, I didn't know where I was going. I I, I wanted to play baseball, and uh, David had kind of took me in. David Montgomery. Uh, yep. yep. Um, I had asked Bill Giles, love you, Bill. This is no offense. I asked Bill Giles because in the offseason I was doing that program for the Phillies because at that time a lot of drug and alcohol programs, especially in the state of New Jersey, you had the governor's council over there. You had people speaking in schools. You had drug and alcohol in schools. You had DARE. Right. So I, I, I started doing that down in Texas before I got traded here. Um, and so not even get traded here before I signed here. So when I left Texas to sign here, um, I'd already done that in Texas for a couple of years. So when I got here, I continued to do it. And Karen Howard and well, really Vince Noss and Karen Howard, Regina Castellani, and Kelly. Kelly was and down Kelly, there. Sure. They were all the community relations people down there, and they were getting those uh, uh, requests. And, and Vince had told them because I first thing I did when I got here, I did two things. I found a sponsor. And I found a, a, a Bible study group, and Vince Noss was doing the Bible study. And so I went over to his house, and he says, you know what? What are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing nothing. I'm looking for a job. He says, well, I can get you an off-season job. We're getting this, and I heard about your program. I, we're getting this request. Um, Saves was invented by Karen Howard, though, because it was it's a funny story, too. But um, she used to get on me all the time when I was speaking because I'd, I'd bring up the name of Jesus sometimes because, see, see, to me, I, when I left Texas, I left an area where you where you could talk about the Lord. And I got up here in the north, and when you'd say something about the Lord and your, your faith, they would look at you like, whoa, did he just say that? You know where you at? And so there was many times I went out and speak for the Phillies and spoke for the Phillies, and I'd come back, and Karen go, what did you do? And she was, she, she was supposed to be my assistant, but she thought she was my boss. And she'd say, what did you do today? I go, what do you mean? I went and spoke at that school. She goes, oh, my Lord. She said, do you know what you said? I go, yeah, I was a guy. I was, I, I think so. I'm, I'm the guy presenting. I, what, what are you talking about? Oh, did you, you said, how many times did you say God? I go, I don't know. She goes, you got to be careful. Some people don't like that. I go, okay. So one day, Blue Cross Blue Shield decides to sponsor the program. And on the other side of Brawl Street, on the left-hand side, there's a Jesus Save sign. And it's been there forever. So I'm sitting there, and she goes, Blue Cross Blue Shield wants to sponsor your program. What's the name of it? I said, I told you, saves. And I'm looking at that sign. And I had the one in Texas was Operation Save. Me and Dave Stewart had named it that. So I seen that sign, and I was just kind of, you know, giving her a little shot, going, Jesus saves. And she hung up on me. And uh, I was like, hey. And, and then she called me back, and she said, you know, uh, you know, we didn't have cell phones then. So I was trying to figure out directions. I, was on, I, I think I was on a pay phone. I can't remember where I was mm. calling from. But I, I remember calling her about directions, and I said to her, I said, uh, I said, saves. She goes, well, what does it stand for? I go, don't know. <laughs> and so we, come up sat with it. There, we sat there, and uh, we both went back and forth, and, and, and most of it she came up with. And 
I've looked back over it and I've got a lot of credit for it, but she, you know, I, I, students, attitudes, values, education, substance abuse. I think I came up with athletes, attitudes, and addictions, which was the A. And I think she came up with values, which I never was big on that, but I'm big on values, but not that title. And then education, she said, education is going to be, uh, you know, thing you'd like to do in schools when you go in and, uh, you know, like health classes and talk about the effects of alcohol and marijuana on the brain and the heart and stuff. And I said, uh, okay, substance abuse would be my story, the thing I least like doing. And I said, what's the first S stand for? She goes, well, why don't you do making the right choices? Because you like to talk about that a lot and decisions and dreams because you talk about that a lot. And so she was the... She was the backbone to the program. Yeah, and she, now, she had other parent, teams yeah. got into that at that point? I mean, I know, obviously, most teams and most leagues right now have, you know, different programs. But did they have someone like you, other baseball teams? I, th- uh, I think some teams had started down that road of bringing former players in. And, you know, it always appalled me because Texas did it first. Why are you bringing somebody in that did all the bad things? I, to me, the, a, better, a better spokesperson would have been a Cal Ripken. I did an autograph show with Cal Ripken one time in Baltimore. I pitched in Baltimore. I, I, I had the worst two starts of my career, and I only had two down there. I got, I got crushed. And uh, the highest ERA of anybody, I'm sure. And I get, I get called down to do an autograph thing, and I, I get there, and it's Cal Ripken. I go, this is going to be fun. And Cal Ripken is doing autographs, and I'm sitting on this side doing autographs, and I've done two, and he's done about 2,000. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking – Okay, I, I'm getting paid. And finally, we, there's an audience afterwards. People are getting to meet us. We're setting up there and talk to us. And, and I'm really st- sitting there thinking, how did I get down here? Who, who, who was dumb enough to get me to be a, you know, maybe a, they needed somebody. And uh, it's, it's kind of it, it's kind on the border of Philly and Oriole territory uh, down in Lancaster. And so I'm sitting there and a the guy goes, he's asking all these questions. Everybody's asking Cal a question. The guy goes, hey, Cal, I want to ask a question. Would you do anything different in your career? And I hadn't really thought about any of the questions that he were asking. He, as a matter of fact, Cal's such a wonderful guy, one of my favorite people. He kept saying, you know, Dickie played for the Phillies. And, you know, and thank God he didn't say Orioles. And uh, so the guy goes, would you do anything different in your career? He goes, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, and he goes, and he really he had some thought in it. He said, I wouldn't do anything different. I worked hard. I showed up every day. I, I played hard. I don't think I could have done anything different. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, I hope this guy don't ask me that question. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And he did. That's a loaded question. And oh. he did. And I looked at him, and I said everything. Right. And yeah. he looked yeah. at me, and he says, what do you mean? You got a World Series ring. You played with the field. I said, I would have done everything different. Mm. He goes, oh, define that. I said, well, it starts with life. I would have I would have, I would have not drank. I would have, uh, uh, many people have asked me, they said, would, would you have uh, been a, uh, more of a social drinker. I said, to me, it would have been too big of a risk because I became an alcoholic. And I said, I, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have done many things that I did. I've taken better care of myself. And I said, it would have helped in my career. I would have enjoyed my career because when you look at my career when I was drinking, I was known as a headhunter too, a title I really hated. Um, you know, and you can't just, you know, you can't say a guy has a temper, settle your temper down. I think, I think anger has a way of manifesting itself in, 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 a, in a bad temper sometimes. And I think many of us in this game, we don't want to admit it, but we, we like the macho stuff, you know, especially being a relief pitcher. You like it thrown at you. This guy's tough. But after a while, when you become the guy has got to hit everybody, when somebody gets hit, you become the guy has got to take care of all the fights. Uh, it gets a little uh, to where you're, uh, you know, you're like – I want to pitch. I don't want to have to. I started the first fight in Scranton Wilkes-Barre history after doing Bible study. Now, how about that? <laughs> because of my old reputation. Well, let's wow. talk about You mentioned card shows, but you also mentioned about hitting, or maybe in this case you didn't hit somebody, but you came close. Talk about, I love the fact, you know, 1980, a lot of people say, and I know you've heard this, you've been asked this story many times, a lot of people say the pitch to George Brett that knocked him on his duff <laughs> basically changed the, the course of the World Series, right? He was on a tear. You knock him down. Then he didn't do anything. We win the World Series. Um, and then afterwards, you do a lot of card shows with George Brett. So talk about talk about that moment in the World Series and, and kind of lead the uh, listeners into that, what happened. Well, you know, I, I'm honored by the fact that people think it changed the World Series. Let me say it, it first. I don't really believe it had any effect on the World Series. Um, but I will say this. It had some effect on them during that game. I, I, I know that because I could see that because they all wanted to kill me. But, you know, coming up to that, coming up to that pitch, w- what had happened was we won the first two games. 
and then they won one in extra innings. And then the next day, they, that Larry Christensen, and a lot of people don't remember this, but Larry, LC was the pitcher, and his uh, dad had was very ill and later passed. I don't know if – I can't remember when he passed. I don't think he passed at that time. Uh, my my memory is not great on that subject, but uh, LC was really had pitching with a you know and you in baseball sometimes you got to really go out and block everything out and a little thing in a World Series as well as they were swinging could throw you off and so I believe Willie Wilson led off the game with uh, uh, maybe a walk or something and LC I don't know he was on first base LC threw the ball away uh, I've been I was telling the story Tom for many years I was telling it wrong but I know the story now because I thought I came in with the bases loaded. I never went back and look at that, and that was a negative on my part. A lot of people ask me about the pitch. I refuse to go back and look at it, because I'll tell you my philosophy when I'm done telling you the story of why I didn't. Um, so finally, Elsie uh, throws the ball away. Willie went to third. He got Frank White out. Brett hits a triple. He's coming off his hemorrhoids. And Willie Mays Aikens hit a bomb and never left home plate. Uh, Hal McCray hits a single to right center, maybe to right field. Uh, he hit one to center and stretched it to a double, one to right. Yeah, this was all in the first inning, Dickie, First right? inning. Yeah. He stretched a single to a double and slid in very hard to second. Mm-hmm. Uh, pop-up slide. Fans, people do not realize this, but Kansas City fans got loud, and uh, a lot of people remembered that. They were very loud. I think they were trying to show Philadelphia fans that we can get loud too. And uh, then – Amos Otis, great ball player, came up and hit one off the right center field wall, inches from well, maybe a foot from going out of the ballpark. Big ballpark then at that time. So they were hitting balls all over the ballpark. So I come into the game. First guy I face, I strike out, I think, on three pitches, Daryl Porter. Uh, next guy was Clint Hurdle. I walked him on four pitches. That's the kind of pitcher I was. you know. And So then I infield hit by UL Washington, and the bases were loaded. For many years, I thought I came in with the bases loaded. I would have swore by that. But when I finally looked at myself pitch for the first time, I think I – like two or three years ago, I finally looked at my, like two my performance. Yeah, yeah, I would never yeah. look at it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and when I looked at it, I said, oh, dang, I was throwing good. I was throwing <laughs> fastballs right by people. And I had control of that game and, and a very good slider. And so I, I get out of first inning on a ground ball by William Wilson again. And, and, and I spiked the ball like Rose did, which I didn't know I did that until okay. I looked at it again. <laughs> and I slammed the ball down like Rose and walked off the field and – so the second inning, I pitch well. Third inning, I pitch well. The fourth inning, Brett's going to be up. Now, there's a lot of chatter in our dugout, and it was a lot of chatter in the bullpen, um, you know, about we need to do something uh, to let them know, you know, th- these guys are getting too comfortable at, at home plate. Uh, we have a way as teammates to let you know. Uh, Tug was the greatest. I mean, he's sitting on the bench, and I'm sitting there. And Marty Bystrom, he's – I call him hard Marty for nothing. Uh, he, he's – he's 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 uh one of my dearest friends, I love the guy. He's like a brother. He walked by me, uh, and he says, uh, yeah, they're getting pretty comfortable up there. You, you know, you're going to be afraid to knock somebody down. And I looked at him. I said, I'm going to. And and uh, I think it was Bobby Walk uh, may have said something, and then uh, Tug said something. And, and uh, you know, they're all encouraging you kind of like, hey, go out there and knock right, somebody right, down. Right. Nudge, right. nudge, and wink, then, wink. Uh, Tug got up and stretched and says, uh, yeah, you got to show me. I'm from Missouri, and I go cute, you know, because we're playing in Kansas City and all that. And I said, that's Tugger. And he Tug, Tug kind of had a way of saying, hey, Pye, you need to. And that and, and being a veteran, him and Ron Reed were, they always took care of a bullpen as good as anybody ever. Tug and Ron Reed really uh, controlled us in the bullpen. And Mike Ryan was our, our coach, so that says enough right there. But these guys were – these guys were the best teachers I ever played with anywhere, you know, other than Ferguson Jenkins, it, just fantastic teachers while they were playing. So I knew I got to do it. So I, I run out to the mound. I said, it's going to be easy. I'm going to drill Willie Mays Aikens. And I'm, I'm going to ask him and say, hey, you can't run now, can you? <laughs> because he watched in the second inning, he hit one off of me. First, yeah. first homer in the first, homer in the second, which yeah. was his fourth. And when he hit it, he hit it so far – I like to watch them. I'm a different pitcher. When I threw it and some guy really hit one, I wanted to watch it. So I turned around to watch it, and I heard Pete. Hey, Willie, you better run. I heard Pete say that. I turned around, and I looked, and he hasn't moved. Still in the box. So I'm hollering at him with all that loud noise. Hey, you better run. And uh, he just looked at me like he couldn't hear what I was saying. So I, I, as he's running, I said, yeah, you, keep walking. You better run. And uh, he got pretty close to first base. I said, I'm going to drill you. I, I wanted him to read my lips. And so I'm waiting on that. So the fourth inning, he's going to be the second hitter. And I'd already got Brett out, and uh, I, I, I'm waiting. You know, Brett gets up there. Now, I was a big George Brett fan. Who wouldn't be? He's one of, just a fantastic hitter, hit 390. 
So the first pitch I'd throw, and I'd throw it by him, and the second pitch I'd throw it by him, and he was a guy that could turn on anybody's fastball. He just did lose Gossage to beat the Yankees in the upper deck, 99. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about my heater. As I'm watching this over, I'm going, I just threw two fastballs by that guy. He had no chance. And so the next pitch, people don't understand this, and this is what I told George at dinner when he was at dinner. People don't understand this. We went to dinner when Kansas City played here, and he came by, and he said, did you really throw at me? i, I got to be honest. Yes and no, but let me tell you what. Yes, I was throwing it where it went. Bob Boone says I, I lost it. I had to lose it. I'd thrown a lot of pitches up there. Following year, I hit somebody in the head, and the next year, I hit somebody in the head. It changed me forever. I, I would never throw up there again. When we were young, we were taught to come in. If you come in and you hit them, you got them 0-2, you wasted that whole, you know, you got him 0-2, worked hard to get him 0-2, you, you hit him. So we would throw up here. And I, had, I was thrown at it in my face. That's probably why I never got hit a lot. And so I, I figured I was going to throw it up there, not with the intent of really hitting him. Right. This is where it gets confusing. With the intent, well, you better get out of the way. I'm sending you a message because that next sucker, I'm going to hit him, but I was going to hit him right in the rear end. That's where I, you throw it in the rear end, they can't get out of the way. So I, I Wait, threw especially with the problems that he had before? <laughs> yeah, he had hemorrhoids that game, that <laughs> but series. But Brett did the most athletic flip. And the yeah. ball, when you slow it down. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Now, you, you can look at this two ways. Number one, and, and let me finish it, and then I'll tell you why I didn't like talking about it. And so when I flipped him, he hit the ground. He kind of spun around, and the whole stadium went silent. And I kind of caught how he flipped. I went, man, that was, that, was, that was pretty good. I mean, and I knew that everybody on that dugout was upset. But Rose is the one. If there's anything that pitch did, it gave Pete Rose, the ultimate competitor, the opportunity to turn that on our side. Hmm. because if Pete doesn't get involved, I don't think it, the pitch is anything other hmm. than inciting them to probably – Well, Fry play. comes out of the dugout. Fry comes out, he's screaming at me, yeah. and he's going, stop it right now, stop it right now, and he's hollering, stop it right now. And I'm looking at him like, I hope this old man don't come out here because that's going to be embarrassing because I'm going to have to run from an old man. I ain't going to hit an old man. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking that. That's what I'm thinking as a 23-year-old. Like, I don't want no old man to come out here. It's like I Don mean, Zimmer and right, uh, Pedro. Pedro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I, I would I would have not – if he would have came after me, I would have not went anywhere near him. But if Brett would have came at me, it would have been a little bit different. But Brett was too smart to do that. So Brett's laying there and fried. Stop it right now. Stop it right now. What people don't understand – and about this, and I didn't know till many years later, is Billy Connors looked at Jim Fry and said, hey, this guy pitching out there, and they got a left-hander to bullpen, Kevin Sauchet, said, the way we're playing, we need to be a little careful. They'll flip you. And he said, they'll flip you more than once. He just told him that, and I flipped Brett. Yeah. And I was unaware of that for many years. But Billy said, I mm. just told him, and you flipped Brett right after the mm. next pitch. There it is. And uh, Brett went down, hit the dirt, spun around, and and was just staring at me like, you threw it my head, and I said, yeah, I did. That's what. That's yeah. why I was staring back at him. And then Pete goes, he wasn't throwing at him. He says, stop it right now, and he's throwing at him. And and Pete goes, he wasn't throwing at him. And Frank's trying to get it. Pete, Pete's trying to get it. Frank, Gordy McKenzie's grabbing Pete. Pete goes, if he was throwing at him, it'd hit him. I don't think Fry knew how to handle <laughs> that because nobody, right? nobody could out talk Pete. And Pete <laughs> right. was sitting there, and Fry was like. You know, I've yeah. I, I, I seen that. And then Pete turned around and looked at their dugout, and he said, if you want to throw at any of those guys, you go right ahead, pitch your own blanking ball game. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and their whole Pete. bench sat down. Yeah. Because Pete Rose right. endorsed the pitch. Yeah. And then it, it turned the series, John. That's history right there. That's history right there. All right, listen, we got to uh, – let's take a uh, a quick break. And uh, we got the quiz for Dickie. Dickie, you're going to get a quiz in a minute here. And so, a song uh, to introduce the quiz. Oh, yeah, we got a new theme song. All this and more when we come back right after this. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Thanks for the visit. Let's get down to business. Now here's your chance to show how much you really know. He might get grumpy if he can't stop you with Brazier's Quiz. 
And we're back. And, uh, John, you got your quiz papers out. And I know you worked hard on this one because it's Dickie Ray. Exactly right. Well, Dickie, I asked you a couple questions in the golf course, and you probably were thinking it's, uh, it was something – you know, you I'm were just doing research I'm yesterday? just casually asking you questions, but oh. I, I got a lot of answers research. out of them. Okay, all right. Uh, because I found out yesterday that you went to Harding University High School. North Carolina. Right? Yep. In, North, in Charlotte, there, North called, Carolina. It was called Harding High then. Harding High. Now it's called Harding University High School. All right. You have, first of all, there's eight questions, eight questions. And we usually set the bar. You have to get six out of eight. All right? Okay. So, but it's all about your life, so you should have an inside track. And right? a little bit of calculus thrown in. Yes, a little thrown in a little <laughs> algebra and calculus in there too. All right, so you went to Harding University. Which uh, first of all, what does he win, Tom? We we could give him the uh, the hers ladies clutch uh, that we're giving away to all women fifteen and over next Sunday uh, f- when we play the Mets. For there Mother's it is. Day. Uh, do you have nice plug, sure, John? I'm sure you, you give that, that to somebody. He's a, he's a real professional. He <laughs> My that daughter. Right in there. All right, My daughter. For your daughter's going to get this. So do this for your daughter. All right, so you went to Harding University High School. Which of these celebrities did not go to that high school? Okay, so I'm going to mention four people, celebrities. Okay. Three of them went to that high school. One did not. You got to tell okay. me which one did not. All right, A, Ray Durham, former Major League Baseball second baseman, right? Two-time All-Star, former Cub. Uh, Ron Killings, professional wrestler in WWE. Jim Neighbors, who played Gomer Pyle. And Anthony Hamilton, who's a singer, songwriter, and record producer. So was it Ray Durham, Ron Killings, the wrestler, Jim Neighbors, or Anthony Hamilton? Jim Neighbors. Jim Neighbors is correct. <laughs> you were one for one. How did you know Jim Neighbors didn't go to your high school? Uh, it was a pretty good chance that, that was going to be the answer. I didn't know two of the other guys, but I know Ray Durham pretty good. <laughs> All right. Your first minor league team, I found out yesterday, was the Auburn, Auburn. Phillies. Yeah. Right in 1975, I was doing a little sneaky research on you, Dickie. Uh, in the New York Penn League, again, 1975, which one of these was not one of your teammates? Okay, Three teammates from that Auburn team in 1975, one was not. A, Steve Kruselock, if I said that correctly. Kruselock. Cruzlock, B, Blake Summerfield, C, Orlando Isales, Isales. and D, Neil Cooper. Uh, who was who was the second Blake one? Summerfield. Blake Summerfield. Yeah, Blake is our. Uh, <laughs> I think he probably knows Blake. Well, Blake's head of our business analytics here uh, at the Phillies. So yes, you probably know Blake. He's got a good baseball name, though, right? Blake Summerfield. Or, Blake or, Summerfield. Orlando Asales was on the eighty team. Is that right? Yeah, I don't September. remember. Do you remember him, Tom? He had no. six hundred or what? Four? I, I think he was three for four. Huh. All right. So you are two for two. You're on two a roll, right? All right. Your nemesis, George Brett. We talked about George Brett earlier. He is one of five players to have 3,000 hits, 300 home runs, and a career 300 batting average. How about that? Ooh. Right? Awesome. Which one of these is not one of the other players? So three of those guys, three of the players I'm going to mention had 3,000 hits at least, 300 home runs, and a career 300. One did not. Which one did not? A, Barry Bonds. B, Hank Aaron, C, Willie Mays, D, Stan Musial. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is correct. He was at 2,935 oh, hits, oh. and he was at a 298 batting average. I was going to say, maybe he was Obviously, wasn't he did it on the home runs, yeah, yeah. and he was close, 298. Yeah. Uh, the other one was Miguel Cabrera, if you're playing at home. So, just right. to let you know. So, you are three for three, Dickie. Very good. You're on fire. All right. You were drafted in the fourth round. We talked about this yesterday, too. You were drafted in the fourth round of the 1975 draft. Who was not drafted after you? So three of these players were drafted after you. One was drafted before you. Okay. Okay. So which one was? So in other words, who was drafted before you? You have A. Lou Whitaker, B. Andre Dawson, C. <laughs> Bob Horner, D. Lee Smith. These players were in the draft. Yes, okay. 1975. Just, 1975. And, and three of them were picked after you. One okay. was picked before you. So it was a Lou Whitaker, Andre Dawson, Bob Horner, Lee Smith. If you look at this class, you're it's asking, a great you're draft. You're asking who was picked before me? Yes. Bob so, Horner. No, Bob Horner was picked in the 15th round. Lee, thought, Lee Smith was drafted in the second round. Wow. Yeah, how about I, that? I, I, I was getting ready to think. I, I thought Lee Smith was the second or third round, but I thought Bob Horner was a number one. No, 15th <clears> round. Andre Dawson was 11th round. Yeah. Lou Whitaker was fifth round. How about that? But if you go back to that draft, look at those players yeah, in the 1975 draft. Oof. One of the best drafts ever. So, all right. You got you're, you're on a good roll. You're, you're, you're batting 750, all right. right? So, here you go. Number five. You were traded for yourself in 1987. We didn't even I get that. into that. That's so cool. Right? Uh, it's happened only three other times. Did you know that? 
which player was not traded for himself? Okay, there's. I'm going to mention four people. One was not traded for himself. Uh, a is Brad Golden. B is Eric Pesh. C is Harry Chitty. And D is John McDonald. Is John it? McDonald. No, it's Eric Pesh, who's our merch guy. <laughs> yeah. I wish I would have known yeah. Eric. <laughs> you know Eric. You've I seen know him. Eric. Bald works with Scott Brandreth. I had guy. no idea of any of those. I just took a guess. The That's last all right. guy, the way you said the last You still day. have room. You, yeah. you, you just got to go three for three, and I think you're going to do yeah, this. Yeah, you got this. All right, in 1980, this is more baseball-related, so you're going to be good. In 1980, who was second to Mike Schmidt with 87 RBI? Second to Mike Schmidt with 87 RBI. Schmidt, he had 121. Was it Bull, Gary Maddox, Bake McBride, or Pete Rose? You mean on our club? On okay. your club on in 1980. Who was second? Shake and Bake. Shake and Bake is correct. It's going to be my you guess, You are too. correct. Yeah. All right. Here we nice. go. You need just two more. In 1980, who was second to Steve Carlton in strikeouts with 94? Uh, Steve Carlton. Who was second to Steve Carlton in strikeouts? He had 94. Okay. That's it? Yeah. Well, was it Bob Walk? Dick Ruthven, Randy Lurch, or Larry Christensen? It was Dick Ruthven, but I, I challenged that 94. Uh, Bob Walk had 94. Bobby Walk. Bob Walk had 94. Ruthven Dick Ruthven had 86. In the whole season? Yeah. Unless I – look, I always – Bob Walk came up – You know yeah, what? Yeah. Bob Walk you know what? You know what, Dickie? I always screw up one question. That I might think be that's the one you screwed up. All right. Well, Scott Brandeth is our uh, resident historian. <laughs> he will be the first you one to tell me right, if I screwed but, up. But, but you may be right. All right. Ready? Last question. You ready for this one? Yep. I figured I'd end on an easy one. You were born in Charlotte, North Carolina. We met, We talked about that. Which of these celebs was not born in Charlotte, North Carolina? Okay. Which of these celebs was not born in Charlotte, North Carolina? Okay, here we have A, Seth Curry, B, Luke Combs, country singer, C, Jim Nance, sportscaster, the Masters, right? D, Gene Rayburn, host of Match Game 76. So was it Seth Curry, Luke Combs, Jim Nance, or Gene Rayburn? I'm going to say Gene Rayburn. Gene Rayburn is correct. <laughs> and Tom will tell you that I always, uh, most, most podcasts, I mention somebody from Match Game 76, uh, whether it's Fanny Flagg, <laughs> Nipsey Russell, Bill Cullen, uh, yeah. Charles Nelson Riley, the, anybody else. Everybody's favorite. All right, you did, a, you did a good job. and You got me looking up Ruth of Incense. I, I, I can't believe he wouldn't have uh, more strikeouts. Man, Bob Walk was such a late call-up that year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he came. Uh, Bob September. Walk was a power pitcher then. Bob Walk yeah. threw really Yeah, maybe hard. he had a lot of strikeouts, strikeouts in, in the month of September. Well, we're not going to spend this whole podcast looking through the stats here. <laughs> we'll so make Brandreth we'll do it. We'll have Scott Brandreth look at it. And, Dickie, you know what? I think because of the confusion, you win a hers ladies clutch crossbody. exactly right. He only had 86 strikeouts. Yeah, this Who year I, had I was right. How about that? He yeah. wins a hers ladies crossbody clutch. Absolutely. That we're giving away to all fans. You got to give women, everybody a trophy even though they don't win. <laughs> there you go. All right. Can well, I make one last comment? Sure. I, I mean, I love both of you guys, but I want to make this comment because uh, I, I want you to understand this. Uh, you know, when you look at, 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 at what we're doing now and, and uh, you know, how you make people feel, you know, with, with – uh, and you – I want his title. I want his. I really want his title. That's what my next. I, I've told you that before. You already let's, got it, Dickie. Let's switch. Let's switch. Yeah, you are the director of but funny I, games. I want to say one thing about both of you guys. You guys mean a lot to the Phillies. You, you know, you do a great job in the community. Uh, what you do is phenomenal. I mean, you can't even go there. You know, and uh, I mean, when you think about it, I was just thinking about someone that just uh, that I just talked to. Uh, uh, that that you made a big big impact in their life, and I can't even remember who it is right now, but. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of an event. I've seen the pictures and everything else. Oh, last night we were at the uh, uh, the award ceremony. Sports Writers Banquet. Okay. And, and a, a doctor was a, a, a doctor. I wish I could remember her name. I, I, you know, I've had a lot to happen today. I've been dealing with a whole lot of things today on the EP field. But the doctor sat beside me and Boa. She was honored for, the, for her work in the COVID. She came to the ballpark here to give the shots out. And she told Larry, and she told the whole, uh, the whole audience, and there was a young lady up there from soccer that won an award. She didn't know the 1980. Flyers or the 1980 Phillies or the 1980, you know, because we all won that year, uh, 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 the, uh, the Eagles. So she's sitting there, and she's sitting. She goes up to get her award, and she goes, this is a great award. She goes, Larry, I watched you in eighth grade, you and Dickie, and I watched, you know, she turned around. I was a big fan, but she showed me pictures on her phone. 
uh, and what you did and, and the impact you two make. So I appreciate uh, wow. both awesome. of you guys. Well, Dickie, you guys we appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Dickie. One of our all-time favorites, and, and uh, we are proud to – Call you a coworker since 1996. Absolutely. Hey, man, I, I think I need to introduce myself to a few other coworkers. There, you got questions. <laughs> Blake Summerfield and Eric Pesch, to, to name a couple. Uh, yeah. Dickie, we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, that was great, John. I guess uh, we're wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time on Philly's Backstage.